welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Good morning. We're happy you are with us this morning. You know, it, it's it's human nature to avoid things that we don't like. And sometimes we can avoid a lot of things with little to no impact. If you don't like the color purple, don't buy a purple shirt. Don't paint your house purple. Don't buy a purple car, right? Um, little to no impact to that. If you don't like scary movies, don't watch scary movies. Little to no impact to that. Some things, if we don't like them and you avoid them, that, that has an impact. Uh, if you don't like eating vegetables, if you don't eat vegetables long enough, that, that could have an impact. Or if you don't like exercising, not exercising over a period of time could have an impact, right? So... Um, We've got to be careful about the things that we avoid. And today we're going to talk about a text in the Bible that, that maybe we want to avoid. We may not like this text, because there's text in the Bible that we don't like. Sometimes they tell us to do hard things, like when Jesus says, love your enemy. That's hard. I don't want to do that, Jesus. If you see my enemy, that guy's a jerk. I don't want to like him. I don't want to love him. And then there's other things in there that are just... You know, they tell us to do something we don't want to do, it's uncomfortable, it's not our favorite thing to do. And, and we're going to be looking at one of those kind of texts today. And this text kind of answers the question of, what do you do when you're stuck and there's nothing you can do? What, what happens then? And that's what we're going to be looking at, because we're kind of in that area right now. Right, we're we're in this whole COVID thing, and it's a mess, and it's been a mess, and it feels like there's nothing we can do. And you know, way back when this started, it seemed like it was going to be a couple weeks, maybe a month or two, and then it would be over. And here we are, six months later, and it's still going on. And we haven't had graduations, and we haven't had birthdays, and we haven't had weddings, and funerals have been difficult. And and it's ah, what do you do? I love my children, but homeschooling them is tough. I want them to go back to school, or I, I need to go back to work. And some of us may have lost jobs, lost our income, lost our businesses, maybe. It's, it's tough, and things aren't going good. And along comes James with some advice. Now, this is James, the brother of Jesus, not James the disciple, right? James that writes the book of James the Bible, that's the brother of Jesus. And I've always said the fact that James uh, believes that Jesus is God should be enough for everybody. Because I don't know if you have a brother or sister, but I've got a brother. I love my brother. My brother's pretty cool. He's got it together. He's a nice guy. He's got lots of friends, nice family. He's got it going on. And there's nothing he could say or do that would convince me that he's God. Right? So the fact that James believes Jesus is God should be enough to convince anybody. But anyway, here comes along James with some advice. 
And this advice can almost seem a little bit insensitive um, because James doesn't even know what we're going through. How, how can he give us advice, right? Again, it's just kind of like when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. And we want to say, Jesus, have, have you seen my tomorrow? My tomorrow's pretty rough. Um, bad things are happening in my tomorrow. I gotta go see a doctor. I'm getting bad news. There's layoffs at work. You know, the, the list of bad things that can go on is long. And have you seen my tomorrow? My tomorrow is tough, Jesus. How can you say such a thing? And, and, and James's advice can come off a little bit like that, especially in our uh, very politically correct society. We're hypersensitive to somebody saying something that would be insensitive. And at first glance, this can kind of come off like this. But we'd be fools not to listen to James. Because James led the first century church in Jerusalem for about 30 years. And it was difficult. It was hard. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this. So here's these people were part of the Jewish faith and now have separated themselves from the, the Jews. Who lives in Jerusalem? Jews. So if you separate yourself from the Jews, who do you have left? Nobody. Just the other Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians yet, but the other followers of Jesus. In fact, the Jews would have called them blasphemers. They might have used the word heretic if they'd had that word back then, right? And the Jews, as you know, in the first century were a little bit uppity because they believed that they were the chosen people of God and they had a high and mighty position. And everybody else was a little bit less than that. But now here's these people that used to be part of this high and mighty group and they have willfully disconnected themselves from that. And that doesn't take you down to these other peoples. That takes you down to even lower. You're the lowest of the low. And so here it is. You live in Jerusalem. Your friends, probably most of your friends, if not all of your friends, don't like you anymore. Your family probably has disowned you, doesn't like you anymore. It's hard to get a job because nobody wants to hire you. Uh, all Jews pay a temple tax that goes to the temple, and that money is used to help support the poor. But you don't qualify for that because you're not a Jew anymore. And so things were tough. It was hard. And James leads the first century church through this tough time for 30 years. Things were so bad in Jerusalem that when Paul goes on his missionary journeys around the Mediterranean, he collects money from the Gentiles that become Jews and uh, Christians and sends that back to Jerusalem to the Jewish Christians. That's how tough things were in Jerusalem. And James knows a thing or two about hardships and troubles. Because James was surrounded by and responsible for a community in crisis. And while all this is going on, he tells you and me what to do in James chapter 1. Open your Bibles while you turn there. And while you're doing that, James chapter 1, 
Um, I just want to say a quick thank you to Andy Stanley. I saw him do, uh, do a sermon like this, and we've stolen a lot of his ideas, and he's okay with that. So it's good, but we just shout out to Andy Stanley. And one other thing here, we're going to start in verse 2, James chapter 1, verse 2. And I've taken some of the phrases here and rearranged them. Because I didn't change any words, but I just moved the phrases around. Because as you know, James didn't write this in English. And so it reads a little weird to us. And I think if we move the phrases around, it makes a little more sense to us English speakers. So, um, you know, someday when there's the Bill Almack authorized translation of the Bible, look for James chapter 1, verse 2. It'll be in a different order. Okay. So uh, starting out there, starts out and says, whenever you... Face trials of many kinds. Whenever, not if ever, not some of you might possibly, not um, this might happen, not this could potentially happen to you, not some small percentage of you might, could have possibly, should, would, you know, there's no wiggle room. It says whenever. This is going to happen. It's, it's just going to happen. See, bad things happen in this life. Because when sin entered the world, he didn't come alone. He held the door open and disappointment and disease and depression and illness. And a whole bunch of his friends came walking in with him. And so whenever you face trials of many kinds, and the word face here in this original Greek, as I understand it, is a word that kind of, uh, it's, it's not talking about face, it's talking about uh, a, a surprise, you know. In some other literature, this word is translated to robbed. It's kind of surprised when a robber jumps out and takes your wallet. There's a surprise element to it. And so it's whenever you are surprised by trials of many kinds, whenever they unexpectedly pop up and they're in your face, right? This oh no moment that happens when you get a call from the hospital that your son or your daughter has been admitted to the hospital and that surprise and that oh no and that dread, those kind of moments. It says when that happens... Consider it. What does consider mean? Right? It means stop. Take a moment. Take a breath. Just take... Right? Try and back up. And let's look at this from a different angle in a different way. And this is really hard to do because when we're in a trial, we're generally consumed by the trial. It's just taking every moment that we have. And so it's hard for us to step back, try and look at this objectively, and consider some things about it. But that's what James is asking us to do. And and this is the part that comes off a little bit insensitive to me because how can you consider, you know, you, you tell me to do this and you don't know what my trial is. I don't have time to consider this. I don't have time to deal with this. My problems are big. He says, consider this pure joy, my brothers and sisters. All right. Now, James has just gone too far here. How can the big trial in my life, the big thing that's difficult, be pure joy? Don't shoot the messenger, right? I, I'm I'm just the messenger. I didn't write this. These aren't my words. This is James talking to us, right? 
and, and a guy that lived in a really tough time. And he said, the thing that is bringing you so much pain, so much heartache, so much issues into your life, I want you to consider that pure joy. And that's where we kind of, sometimes we, we, we pay lip services. Yeah, okay, James. Yeah, we'll, we'll consider it joy. Yeah, right. You know, and we go on our way. And we ignore this verse. And I think we do so at great peril. Let's go on. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, because you know, you know, right? When we're in the midst of a trial, our, we're amped up and things are going on. And, and we just, ah, we can hardly think. And he says, take a moment and think because you know better. Slow down. And what do we know? We know that the testing of your faith. Testing. What does it mean to test something? How do we test something? You ever buy a little gadget and, you know, you're not sure this little gadget's going to work. Maybe you saw it on TV or see it in a store and you're you're not sure it's going to work. But maybe it'll work, right? And so you take it home and you test it. I remember years ago when Linda and I first got married, I was working some crazy shifts at work. Uh, we were on a project that was short of like, specialized hardware we needed. And so here at home, we were working three shifts round the clock, trying to get enough computer time. And then we started working with one of our subcontractors in Texas, and they had three shifts going. And so I was spending one week here, one week in Texas, one week here, one week in Texas. And every time we were in Texas, we got third shift because they took first and second shift for themselves and gave us third shift. And then when we were here, we were on a rotating. So you'd have first, second, third, first, second, third. So I could be first shift here, next week third shift there. I come back here, I'd be second shift here, then I'd be third shift there. Then I come back here and I'd be third shift here, and then I'd be third shift there. Then I'd come and Crazy, crazy hours. And this went on for like nine months or a year or something like that. It, it was rough. One night, strangely enough, I couldn't sleep. I found myself at home. I'm watching TV, flipping through the channels. I don't know. It was the middle of the night or something. And I, I came across an infomercial for the V Slicer. And it slices and dices and it makes julienne fries and waffle cuts and crisscross cuts and all this stuff. And so, you know, this is way back in the day. So I grab my wireless phone and pull out the antenna. And it's, you know, three in the morning and I'm dialing 1-800 and I give them my credit card number. 1999 and they sent me the V Slicer. And this thing, when it came, I'm like, all right, does this work? Will it really cut and dice tomatoes? Will it really cut and dice onions with no tears? Can I really make waffle cuts? And, all? and the answer was, yeah, it worked. And I actually still have the thing. And for years, I was kind of known as the salad guy. Because whenever we got together at a potluck or a family event or whatever, I would bring a big salad because it was fun to cut all the tomatoes and the cucumbers and everything with all these interesting cuts. And it made a nice presentation. Okay, And it was fun, and the thing did work. But that's what we do. When we test something, we want to see if it's authentic. Does it work? Is it real? And when we test our faith, trials let us know if our faith is authentic. Is it real? Is it our parents' faith? Or is it my faith? And trials tell us that. 
They tell us um, our trust level in God. And so what James is really saying here is the trials let us know whether or not we have confidence in God. See, because when you learn by a trial, you're surprised by it. You don't make a decision to go through it. You don't want to go through it. You don't make a decision to all of a sudden just have faith. You don't say, all right, today I'm going to have faith. That's not how it works. It's built up by these things that happen to us that we go through, and we don't have any choice about it. See, because when our conditions deteriorate, the artificial what's-in-it-for-me faith deteriorates right along with it. Right? You'll learn something about yourself through a trial that you probably can't learn any other way. And we learn about the authenticity of our faith or the how it's not authentic. And James says there's joy in that. Not joy in the trial, but joy in the discovery of our faith. And this will stand in contrast to what some other folks might tell you about faith. There's a lot of people out there that, that think faith is like a superpower or something. Faith is how I get God to do what I want him to do. And nothing could be farther from the truth. I've seen lots of people that, you know, say it and claim it. Um, you be careful about that. Right? Faith is not how I convince God to do my will. Faith is how I accept God's will. Okay? And so James says, whenever you face trials, you're going to learn something about your faith. Take a moment, step back, process it, regain your perspective, and you will find joy in that process. So putting it together, whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Oh, see, the testing of your faith does two things. One, it tests, it demonstrates, so it tests or it demonstrates, and two, it produces something. What does it produce? It produces perseverance. See, in in this um, analogy we're using, faith is kind of like a muscle, and the more you use it, the stronger it gets, Right? Uh, it's like if you went through a really bad accident, you broke your leg really badly, and you spent months in the hospital and many, many months in a cast. When you finally get out of a cast, that leg is weak, it's atrophied, and you've got to go to physical therapy and begin exercising that and strengthening it. And there's not joy in physical therapy. It's painful and it hurts, but there's joy in learning to walk again. And that process, that perseverance, this we need, we need to go through that whole thing. You can't shortcut it. You can't just jump to the end. You've got to go through the whole thing. And James tells us that. He says, let perseverance finish its work. See, don't leave the gym early. You can't skip out. You've got to do all the reps and all the sets for it to work. And see, what this means is that big thing in your life that you're struggling with, it's a trial, that, that you're understandably praying 
for God to get rid of it, for God to take it out of your life, for God to give you some relief from it, that's central to what God wants to do in your life. See, the epicenter of what God is trying to do in your life, the thing that we want removed is the thing that God wants to use. The thing that we want removed is the thing that God wants to use. And the tension in our lives is often the epicenter of what God is doing in our lives. And I can prove it. What are you praying about right now? See? (laughs) See? This trial that you're going through right now has your undivided attention. And you're praying about it. And you might not even have prayed in a long time. But you're praying now. That's exactly what James is saying. Don't quit early. Don't bail out. Don't stop believing because there's an outcome. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If perseverance is going to complete its work, um, we've got to let it go. right? We want to be complete. We want to be mature. We want to have a grown-up faith. And that has to go through the process of growing. You've got to go through the growing pains. You've got to go through the awkward stages where you're stumbling, you fall, and you trip. I grew three inches in one summer. Whew. You talk about being, you know, growing pains. It, your body hurts. You're a little uncoordinated. Fortunately, it was summertime. We wore shorts all summer because pants couldn't, just couldn't keep up. And, and this is not easy. And James knows it's not easy. And the first century church knew it wasn't easy. And it's hard to understand how something so horrible and so terrible in my life can result in anything good. And in verse 5, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. See, if we lack wisdom of how God could be using this horrible, terrible thing in our life, if we can't understand, if we can't believe that anything good will come from this, then ask God. Because God wants to give generously to you. And the problem is, when I'm going through a tough time, I don't want wisdom. (laughs) I want relief. And I don't ask God for wisdom. I ask for relief. And James is saying, Ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. If you don't see how God can use this, ask to see things the way God sees these things. This is a prayer that I believe God will always answer. If you ask God to help you, if you say, God, please help me see as you see, I believe he will answer that prayer. We can begin to understand how he can use these things. See, we've been too busy asking God to remove the issue, to fix it, to help me get through it, whatever. But ask God to help you see it as he sees it. Because when we see as God sees, maybe we'll act as God would have us act. 
And maybe our faith will be complete. Do you ever wonder how Jesus can be dying on the cross and say, Father, forgive them? It would be the last thing through my mind. But I think Jesus' faith is complete and mature in his Father. And he's able to see it as God sees it, not as he sees it. And he has compassion on their souls. It's a tough thing that James tells us to do here. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But it's what the Bible tells us to do. So when you're thinking about that thing you're going through, that that tough thing, that terrible thing, see if you can look at it as God looks at it. That it's testing and demonstrating your faith. That it's building your faith. So that you can be mature and complete. Next week we start a new series. It's going to be our series in prayer. It's our small group series. Hopefully you've joined a small group already. If you haven't, there's still time. All our small groups are meeting virtually. So we just encourage everybody to sign up for a group. If you haven't, please contact us at the church. Pastor, myself, will help you get signed up for in a group if you don't know how to do that. Um, we want to make sure everybody can do that. Make sure you've requested the small group books. Um, the digital copy of it, we have PDFs we can send you so that you can follow along and be in your small groups. We're going to ask our small groups to meet up this coming week. This is kind of the pre-week, but let's just meet real quick. Um, make sure everybody can connect, everybody can get online, so you don't have to worry about that the first night. Just have uh, you know time to connect, make sure we can all hook up, maybe introduce some new people, tell a joke, laugh a little bit, and then you'll be ready to go next week. Uh, when the small group starts, you won't have to fuss with any of that stuff. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be able to consider the things in, in our lives that happen to us as things that can help us be mature. Help us to see them the way you see them. Help us to to not be just so worried about what we think but to be worried about what you think. Lord, thank you so much. We have these words of wisdom from James that have been preserved for us. Help us to take them to heart. Help our faith to be mature. But Lord, most of all, help us to seek your wisdom. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.